0: You are listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. Next week, especially about our next generation, we want to keep them in our hearts, our minds, our prayers. So we really do appreciate this, this church community that loves our kids, and we want to continue to do that with all of our heart, And we know that God has a way for them. He's making a way for them. And that's really what we're about. Listen, during the summer, we have opportunity to run into each other in the community here at at church. There are a lot of people that I haven't been able to touch personally yet. We haven't been able to cross paths. So let's make sure we do that. Maybe between services, after the service. If we've never met, I'd love to meet you. I really would. And I thank those that are here on campus, those that are online, YouTube, Facebook, We're just part of this community that that really wants to see Jesus work in people's lives. So do this with me. I want you to bow your head just for a moment. We're going to pray and ask God's Holy Spirit just to touch us today in his word. Father, we just want to thank you today for the things that you do in our lives and the things that you're about right now. Lord, that you're moving in our lives in different ways. That you're giving us direction. You're speaking to us. And you're leading us in the ways of righteousness. Lord, I pray for those that are hungry today, those that are seeking you today, that they would find you. Lord Jesus, that their hearts would be full of joy given the fact that you fill us with your Holy Spirit. We are so grateful today. In Jesus' name we pray. We say amen. Amen. Do this. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 8. Ryan said 9, but we're going to go back to 8. We haven't been there yet. We'll go there. I think, Ryan, that's you next week, chapter 9. I hope you know that, Ryan, (laughs) because it's 9. But we're in chapter 8. We're going to look at Acts chapter 8 this morning, verses 1 through 40. And I hope you've been, I really do, I hope you've been enjoying our study in the book of Acts. Uh, there's a lot of things for me to appreciate out, out of this passage, and one of those, probably at the top of my list, is about getting to see how our Christian ancestors follow Jesus. Because there's really no other book in the Bible that gives us this clear picture of what it's like to follow Jesus early on, and the things that we can model in our own lives, the things that can make a difference in our own lives when we follow uh, the book of Acts. There's, there's no other book that does that for us, and for that I'm deeply grateful. I think the reason this is so important, especially for today, is we're living in, a, in, a, in an age, a, a culture that's disconnected, aren't we? Uh, especially disconnected in a lot of ways from our, our families of origin, uh, that we're, we're suffering. In so many ways we're suffering because we don't have those connections, we don't have those, those contacts. And here in the book of Acts, it tells us about who we are and where we've come from. And that's so beautiful to me. I mean, it's so reassuring. It's it's securing in my own in my own life because I know that many of you are living what it what it means to be disconnected. But in Jesus Christ, all of us are connected. All of us have a, a family. We're in the body of Christ together. Here's the beauty of Acts. While you may be again disconnected or uncertain about your biological family tree, you don't have to be uncertain about your Jesus family tree. That's what I love about the book of Acts. And, And that's because the book of Acts helps us answer some questions that we all have about family. You have questions about your biological family. We have questions about our Christian, our church family. And one of the most important truths you can discover about who you are in Jesus is this. And I want you to remember this. You can write this down in bold print. There are no orphans in the family of God. That you're not an orphan that you've never been left alone, and I know I repeat this over and over, but I'm going to do it again this morning. You will never be left. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He'll never leave you. He will never forsake you. I want you to just say out loud, no orphans. Just say that. No orphans. You're not an orphan. The Bible lets us know that, and if you're feeling that today, if you feel some sort of disconnect, would you please know and understand that Jesus cares for you and that his love makes a difference in your life? I want to speak especially to the new believers in the last few weeks, people who have come to faith in Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for your courage and your faith uh, to put the old life behind you, the new life ahead of you. And please know that you are connected in a family, that you don't have to walk this Christian walk alone, but that you can be part of a family that loves Jesus and will help teach you how to love Jesus. And if we are paying attention to the book of Acts, our family history, we notice that the head of our family has asked this family, family members in the body of Christ, to receive power from the Holy Spirit. Remember, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, I want to go back there because it's, it's so critical for us understanding the whole book of Acts, that you will wait until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. To do what? To be witnesses. Now, the literal translation there is that you'll be martyrs for Jesus Christ. That, that's the word there. It's an uncomfortable word. In fact, when you look at it, it's pretty risky business to be a martyr for Jesus Christ. And we see that especially in the book of Acts. Where do we do this? We do it in Jerusalem. It's local. It's our own backyard. Where are we shining the light of Jesus? In our homes, our communities, our neighborhood... Because we're given that model here. And then you go to Judea and Samaria. That's, that's regional. That's the area. And then we make the disciples in all nations to the ends of the earth. And we make disciples who make disciples. That's really the thrust of the book of Acts. That's our passion. That's our heart. That we haven't been asked to lead a life that's safe or comfortable. That there's nothing safe or comfortable when you read about the life that they lived in the early church. It was a risky life. I mean, they put their life on the line. They never prayed this. They never said, Lord, would you keep us safe? You know what they prayed? They prayed, Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Try that on for size. I mean, when you get up in the morning, because I know typically my, my flesh wants to always be secure, wants to be comfortable. But when I wake up in the morning, I, I find myself leaning to this, Lord, let your will be done in my life today, whatever that might cost me. And it might be risky. It might mean that I'm stepping out into places that are uncomfortable, and that is for sure I'm experiencing that now, going to places where I don't always feel comfortable. You know, it's interesting, an interesting thing that tells me a lot about myself because how I respond to those unsafe and uncomfortable moments tells me a lot about my values. What do I hold on to? What do I see important? Do I value God's will or do I value my comfort? And every day, I I, I know I'm faced with those questions. What do I value here today? You know, there are three things that you can do with your life. One is that you can spend it. Two, you can waste it. Three is you can invest it. And here in the book of Acts, what we see is... The life of those individuals being invested in others, being vested in the kingdom of God. Investing is a ri- risky business. It's not, it's not comfortable, it feels unsafe. In Acts chapter 8, the early church makes a decision they decide how they're going to live, they decide how the, the generations that will follow them are going to live. And what they choose is they choose to live this life that's, that's unsafe, that's uncomfortable. They're saying, we aren't going to play it safe. We're going to invest in disciples who will make disciples. In Acts chapter 8, there's a major shift, a, a seismic shift that takes place in the book of Acts chapter 8. The, the first seven chapters of Acts are all about the city of Jerusalem. Everything that we've read about up to this point is taking place in the city of Jerusalem. And that's really about to change. But what happened in Jerusalem in these first seven chapters? Well, we know the church is born. People are connected to each other. They are strengthened. They are tested. And they are prevailing. They're overcoming the obstacles that are in their way. In Acts chapter 8, the gospel explodes. And it explodes into all of Judea and Samaria. So what's happening for the rest of the book is the gospel of Jesus Christ is spreading, it is multiplying, it is changing lives, it is breaking barriers, and it is transforming communities. So for the rest of the book of Acts, just hold on, because there are a lot of wonderful things that happen. And in Acts chapter 8, we see one person featured in in this wonderful passage, and it's the person of Philip. Philip the evangelist, Philip the one that takes a risk, Philip the one that goes to places that that are, are really uncomfortable for most of us. So, what else happens during this explosive time? One of the things that you need to know is the center of Christianity shifts from being in Jerusalem to Antioch. Now, today Antioch is really southern Turkey. That's about as far south as you can get in Turkey. That's where you would find Antioch. The church's first believers were Jews. Now you're finding out that Samaritans are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Gentiles are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. The church's first apostolic leader was Peter. And after a while in this passage of Scripture in the book of Acts, you see that leadership starts to focus and land on the Apostle Paul. Because in the next chapter, chapter 9, the Apostle Paul has that that ride to Damascus. I mean, that wonderful, not only a a physical ride, but a spiritual ride, a ride of a lifetime. And we see that happen in the Apostle Paul's life. So the first time ever uh, that, that, that the gospel reaches people that are different, and it changes human history. It has this ripple effect all the way down to us. So if you want to know your ancestry, if you want to know the origins of which you've come from, you can go to the book of Acts and thank Jesus for the book of Acts. Because you can look at this and say, oh, this is how the book of Acts got to me. It's because people took a risk. People put their life on the line so that I could find and know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And then I wonder to myself, what is the church going to look like in 50 years I mean, 2,000 years ago, people laid their life down. Are we, am I, laying my life down so that the generations that follow can look back and say, yes. They, they risked their life. They understood that, that Christianity wasn't about being comfortable, but it was about reaching communities. Look at our life. Look at my life. And here's how it all happened. When you look at verses 1 through 4 in Acts chapter 8, listen to what it says. It says, in Saul. Saul, who later would become the Apostle Paul, approved of their killing him, their killing, the, the killing of Stephen, which happened in Acts chapter 7. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So you see what's happening here. It's the first great diaspora, the first great scattering of the early church. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. I love that verse right there. Verse 4 is so meaningful to me. Because what it tells me here is that no matter the circumstances, no matter what the early church faced, they continue to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. They live the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is amazing. Those who had been scattered, literally what it's saying here, those that have been beaten, those that have lost their material belongings, those that have witnessed family members and friends martyred for Jesus Christ, when they saw that happen, what choice did they make? They made a choice to continue to preach the gospel no matter the circumstances they weren't angry at god they didn't deny their faith they didn't run and hide in the hills they didn't play it safe they never never thought they would quit speaking the name of jesus no they didn't do any of those those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went not like i'd like to think that my response to being persecuted my response to to people coming after me and wanting to take my life because of the gospel i would think that I would want to stand strong and that wherever I was, whatever was happening to me, I would preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I, I think that's going to continue to grow in our lives. I think the, the, the possibility of that happening is going to only increase as time goes on for us. Are we going to stand firm for the sake of the gospel to preach the word wherever we go? And then we see one guy who went out preaching the word in Acts chapter 8, verses 5 through 7, and then we're going to drop down to 12 and 13. But listen to what it says. It says that Philip went down to the city in Samaria. Now, whenever it says went down, he's actually going north geographically. But that means that he was in Jerusalem because it's always stated that whenever you go down anywhere, it's from Jerusalem. So we know that Philip's in Jerusalem, but he chooses to go to Samaria, proclaimed the Messiah there. And when the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in the city. That's what happens when the gospel shows up in a city. There's great joy. People are set free. People find faith in Jesus Christ. They see their family members set free. There's great joy in the city. And then you look at verses 12 and 13. It says, But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus, they were baptized, both men and women. Now, now Luke makes a point to say here both men and women because he's, he's talking about breaking barriers. The gospel is breaking barriers here. Up to this point, it wasn't stated. The the phrases that Luke used weren't these kinds of phrases. So what's being indicated to us is there are barriers being broken because of the gospel. And then in verse 13, it says, Simon himself, he's a sorcerer, by the way, or a former sorcerer. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and the miracles that he saw. So where did Philip go? He went to Samaria. A group of people that were recognized or seen by the Jewish people as a cult. They they were the ones for centuries that took the Old Testament law and and perverted it and made their own temples. They, They provided their own sacrifice, their own sacrificial system. And what was involved in that was human sacrifice. And so Samaritans were looked at as a cult by the Jewish folks that were in that time, in that era, and who believed and were baptized. I love that. In verse 12, who believed? Who was baptized? Again, men and women. Barriers were broken. Racial barriers, cultural barriers, gender barriers were broken. And that's what I love to do when I'm I'm in community, especially here in church. I like to look around and see the different ways and the different barriers that God has broken in your life. I get to hear the stories, your testimonies, your your narrative of what God has done for you and how he's broken barriers for you personally, how he's broken barriers in your family. It's here that we see precedent set, that these barriers are broken all across the board. Again, Gender barriers, racial barriers, cultural barriers are broken. And we see that breaking beginning in Acts chapter 8. We see what God's up to. And this is a seismic, again, a seismic shift in what, what, what God wants to accomplish. And what was happening, now it changes. Because the early Christians didn't play it safe. The early church changed the world. The early Christians did not give up. The early Christians brought joy to their cities. That's why I, I love being connected to you, is because I hear the stories about how you bring joy to the city, how your light shines. It's almost every week that I'm in a place or places where, where I hear about the stories that you have provided in in helping others, and how others are helped because of your generosity, because you've chosen to, to live a, a risky life. It's It's not a a safe life, it's an uncomfortable life at times because it's asking us to deny our flesh and to follow Jesus Christ. And so you've done that. And so there's joy that has come to this city. But how did it happen? Well, when I look at this, I think there are three things that the early church believed. Three things that anchored them in the way of presenting the gospel. Number one, there were no circumstances God couldn't use. They believed that with all all of their heart. Whatever they faced, whatever obstacles came their way, they believed that those circumstances could not stand in the way. One of the most important verses in this entire New Testament, and in especially the book of Acts, is Acts 8, 4. And I love it. I'm going to read it again. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. I hold that one dear to my heart. I want that to be true about me wherever I go, wherever I travel, wherever I live. Whoever I'm connected to. They didn't give up. They they stayed at it. They persevered. When you think about the qualities of Jesus. I I don't know what comes to your mind. I mean usually when we think about. The characteristics of Jesus. We think about his love for us. We think about his grace. We think about his forgiveness. I don't know if you've ever thought about his perseverance. (laughs) That Jesus persevered for you. The Bible tells us that. The joy that was set before him, he endured or persevered the cross. Why did he do that? He did that for you. He did it for me. He persevered so that we could find faith and come to faith in Jesus Christ. It says he endured the cross. So where did they get this kind of of strength, the early church? Where did it come from? Certainly they saw it in their Lord and Savior, Jesus. Certainly it was inspired and, and carried out by the power of the Holy Spirit, But they developed a high resistance to being discouraged. Think about that. They had to. They they had to depend on the Holy Spirit and their emotional state because they were looking at tragedy. They were looking at destruction almost every single day. So it was the Holy Spirit that buoyed them up. And they had this incredible resistance to discouragement. And I I can tell you this. One of the I think one of the greatest characteristics of marriages that last is marriages together. Husband and wife are resistant to discouragement because it's there. If you look around, there's, there's plenty of it. I mean, when you look around at your marriage, when you're talking about parenting, when you look at achieving goals, whether they're personal goals or, or business goals, there's a lot of discouragement. I mean, you can walk out of this building and you can just grab a a, a piece of discouragement right away and just just live there but here the bible says that these people did not do that they didn't go to discouragement they went to encouragement that came to them by the holy Spirit it's a frame of mind it's a frame of heart something that many of us need to learn how to do i know i do because every day there's something i want to be discouraged about just read the news i mean look at what's going on in community but to stay encouraged takes Perseverance. Can you have a healthy marriage without a high resistance to discouragement? Can you raise teenagers without a high resistance to discouragement? And if you're a young adult, can you take a stand for Jesus Christ in the, in the environment you're in without a high resistance to discouragement? I, I think not. I think that's why Jesus has given us the power of his Holy Spirit, so we can stand off discouragement. So that's number one. Number two is this. The early church believed that there were no people God couldn't use. I think that's encouraging to all of us. <laughs> you don't have to have a degree on your wall. You don't, you don't have to have a, you know, a lineage uh, that, that says, well, I'm from a bunch of pastors. You don't have to have any of that. The Bible shows us in Acts chapter 8 especially that there are no people that God could not use. I love this one. That means me. Uh, that means you, and I know there are times we've doubted that, many of us, probably all of us, thinking, well, I don't know if God can really use me. Let me say that that immediately, you need to know that's a, a lie from the enemy. That, that, that's what he wants to do. He wants to discourage you from, from living that life of faith, that he can use you and he wants to use you. Remember what it says in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. Jerusalem Judea Samaria and to the ends of the earth now underline that word again witness It doesn't say that you're going to be my defense attorneys that you're going to be my salespeople, <laughs> That that you're going to you're going to be all these other things It doesn't say that what it says here is that you're going to be a witness for me So what is a witness? Let me give you the qualifications of a witness. There are two qualifications what happens in the life of a witness are two very simple things. You tell people what you saw, and you tell people what happened to you. That's it. I think everyone in here can do that. I mean, when you, when you see something happen, you just say, I, I saw this. That's what I'm going to be a witness to. And, and you say, this is what it's done in my life, how it's made a difference in me. Do you remember when the Pharisees cross-examined the man that was once blind and Jesus healed? He was just a great witness. They said, why, what happened to you? And he says, I don't know. He said, all I know is I used to be blind and now I'm not. You know, it's like, there it is. The essence of what it means to be a witness. Don't complicate it. Tell your story. Revelation says that in the last days we will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Be the witness that God has called you to be. Just tell them, tell whoever. What you've seen and what has happened to you, that's it. There was a a famous Mercedes-Benz commercial that they they had out a while back, and they developed the first crash-resistant frame. And they did something in the industry that was so shocking because no one really ever did this. They shared all of their facts and all of their tests. They shared it with the whole industry. The whole car industry blew people away. You keep those things secret, but they didn't. They shared those with all the other car makers, all the other car dealers, and their commercials said this, some things are too important not to share. That was their mantra. That was their motto. So here's what the early Christians did. They shared the good news whenever they went and wherever they went because they believed it was way too important not to share. That's a passion that I want to burn in me. I want to have that same kind of passion. So how did the early Christians change the world? Every person shared Jesus whenever and wherever they went. Every person shared Jesus. Do you know you are where you are? (laughs) And wherever you are, there are going to be people. And so wherever you are, just be ready to share Jesus. Be at the grocery store, it can be on the road, it can be at school, it can be in a lot of different places. Just be willing to share what Jesus has done in your life. And the third thing here that we see is the early church believed that there were no people that God could not reach. No one that God could not reach. In verses 5 through 8, listen to what it says. It says, Philip went down to a city in Samaria and he proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, the the impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there were, again, great joy in the city. Remember that. I, I, I stated that passage earlier, but I wanted you to hear it again, because Philip gets sent to the Samaritans. The Jews in Jerusalem didn't care for them, but he gets sent to this place and he makes the best out of being there. The early church knew that these people needed Jesus. And listen, instead of viewing these people who weren't Christians as their enemy, they saw them as people who were held captive by the enemy. And there's a big difference, isn't there? There's a big difference when you live in a world and you're looking around and you make Make unbelievers your enemy. That's not the God approach. That's not the gospel approach because the enemy has just captured them. The Bible says they have no choice without Jesus but to sin. We have no choice because Romans says that we were once enemies of Jesus Christ. But now we've been brought near to him because of his shed blood and his forgiveness That everyone would see the same thing. You see, they viewed them as people who had been captured and held bondage by the enemy. And God wanted to set them free. God wants every single human being won over, not wiped out. Everyone. He wants them to know Jesus Christ. I love that. God's nature is to seek us. Have you ever experienced that? And you have if you come to faith in Jesus Christ that he kept after you. He's not passive. God initiates and pursues a connection with you and with me. I love the commentary of C.S. Lewis. He said this, I never had the experience of looking for God. It was the other way around. He was the hunter. (laughs) He stalked me. He took unerring aim and he fired at me and he got me. You see, I think that could be everyone's story, because we can't find God on our own. We're helpless. He came, and he found us. So when it came to reaching others, the early church knew. They knew a few things. First of all, they knew this in verses 26 through 28. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road and the desert road, That goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out on his way. He met an Ethiopian eunuch. An important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candate. Which means the queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home was sitting in a chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. Lesson number one here when when you read this passage is... God is a God who seeks, but God is also a God who's already speaking. Did you know that those that you love the most that you want to see come to faith in Jesus, do you know that God's already speaking to them? God's already telling them how much he loves them. And for me to come alongside of what I know God's already saying makes a powerful impact in people's lives. That when we have the the gift of discernment, the gift, and ask for the gift of, of wisdom and knowledge to come alongside of people and just be able to reiterate something God is already speaking to them. Did you ever have that experience in your life? Has, has that ever happened to you where God was speaking to you and someone came along and shared the same words? It was like, oh my gosh, I, I didn't I didn't know anyone else was hearing that, but but God's showing me, He's telling me that. That that he's speaking to my heart and he's speaking to others about me. You see, this is what I believe our responsibility is when we have unbelievers in our life. Just discern, just listen to what God is saying to them. And come alongside of that and listen to what God wants to say to them. Because it can have an impact on their life. In our our story right here, we read about a man in the middle of a desert. That God was speaking to him through the prophet Isaiah already. So he's already reading the prophet Isaiah before Philip even shows up. This is so amazing. This is so God. God does things like this. Why this important man was there and and God shows up so that, that he could understand. Philip came along to only interpret what God was already saying. He was making sense of what God was already saying. I mean, how many parents are raising teenagers or young adults right now? Uh, The hardest thing to do as a parent is to trust others with your kids, and that includes God. I know that's the thing that I know Annette and I struggle with the most, which is turning our kids and our grandkids over to God, just saying, Here, Lord, you have them. You take them. You do what you want with them. And then we would see hard things happen. and just sometimes break your heart. But you knew this. You knew God was involved. And I love the place where this happens. It happens in the desert. (laughs) It happens in the wilderness. You know some of the greatest works of God in your life happen when you're alone? When you're in the desert, when you're in the wilderness, he's forging you, he's framing you, he's developing character in you. This is what's happening to this Ethiopian eunuch. This is where God chooses to speak to him. Today, if if you sense that you're in a desert place and that you're all alone, he's got you right where he wants you. He's got you right where he wants you. That he's doing his work, his best work in you. Here's what you do tell your soul to be still. <laughs> David did. He said, Be still, my soul. He will show you who's God. God will show you who he is. If you're just still and listen to him, he hasn't left you. He, he hasn't left you on your own. He He's cornered you. (laughs) He's got you right where he wants you. God is already speaking. Would you remember that? Because whoever you're praying for, God's speaking to. We also know this, a seeking God. A seeking God is somebody who's seeking. (laughs) That's just what it means. He's seeking us. God is a seeking God. It says here, the Spirit told Philip to go to the chariot, stay near it. And Philip ran up to the chariot. He heard the man reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. He said, do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked. He says, how can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the message of the scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb before its shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. You can speak of his, or who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. He's a seeking God. I know we say, I found Jesus. I've, I've said that, you've said that, I understand that. But honestly, theologically, that's a bit off. Because honestly, he found us. Jesus has found you, he's found me. He's come after us. What's my responsibility when he comes after me? And if that's happening to you right now, whether you're online or here in this building, surrender. Surrender. You're wasting a lot of energy running from God because you can't outrun him. You can run, but you cannot hide. You've heard that before. Because God's after you. The Bible tells us that we are blind, that we are utterly lost. Before Jesus came into our lives, we were his enemy. In the gospel of Luke chapter 15, Luke tells us about lost things, if you remember what he tells us about. He says there is lost sheep, there's a lost coin, and there's a lost son. And I want to just put it this way. The sheep didn't find the shepherd. It was the other way around. The coin didn't find its owner. It was the other way around. The son didn't find the father. It was the other way around. See, God comes after you, comes after me, because our tendency is to run and hide. It's been that way from the beginning of time. What did Adam and Eve do when God called their number? They ran and they hide. They hid from him. So we know that when we look at this passage of Scripture, there's so much good that can come out of it. It includes me in that seeking process. Did you know that God's using Philip in the seeking process? God wants to use you when he's seeking others, that you have a role to play. What is it? Well, I pray for people. I want to pray for you and your family members every single day. Listen, I'm serious about praying for your family members and your friends. I have their names written. I have them written. I have them sitting in front of me, and I pray for them. You know, there are times that years have gone by, and I've looked in my briefcase or backpack or places I store things, my drawer, and I'll pull out names of some of your family members. And I'll, Oh, my goodness, I did this 10 years ago. But when I pull them out, I just pray for them again. Just repeat the process. Pray for those that God is seeking. And then he also includes us through divine encounters. Listen, nothing happens by coincidence. That when you run into people on your way from here to there, those encounters are godly encounters. I don't know if you've ever paid attention. I'm going to finish with this. But if you've ever paid attention to how much got done In the life of Jesus when he was going somewhere. When he was going to Jerusalem. When he was going to the Galilee. Do you know that 75% of the miracles that we read about in the gospels take place while Jesus was on the way? You know what I'm worried about when I'm on the way? (laughs) I'm worried about getting there on time. That's what I'm worried about. I don't want anything to mess me up. I don't want anyone to to interrupt me. I want to get there. But when we stop and we listen to God's Holy Spirit, there's so much that can be done on the way. Jesus did so much on the way. Let him include you in that process. And the other thing you can do when you come alongside is you can listen. Just keep an ear open. Listen again to what the Holy Spirit is up to. It says here that Philip, listened to the Holy Spirit. God's doing a good work. The last thing I want you to remember in this passage of Scripture, God is responsible for the outcome. Not you. It's not the church. It's not all of us. God is responsible for the outcome. So turn the responsibility over to him. I know every time that I share my faith with others, I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, what's this going to be like? What is the outcome going to be? I, I worry about those things. And I know that the Lord will always come and tell me not to worry. I'll just say, would you put that aside and let me take care of the outcome? And here's something that happens when you do that. The outcome is better than you ever, ever anticipated when you turn it over to God. Turn your kids over to God. Turn the outcomes. Turn your grandkids over to God. Turn over those outcomes. Turn the outcomes over of your friends. Let God take care of it. He'll do it. He knows what he's doing. He's a God who seeks. Would you bow your head with me just for a moment? I want to close our time in prayer. But doing that, I want to invite you. If you're here and you don't know Jesus in your heart, I want to invite you to know him. In just a moment, we're going to have our prayer teams come forward. And, and when they do, I also want to remind those that are here that need prayer to go to go forward for prayer. To ask others to pray for you, to support you. Bring strength to our lives. It really does. And it reminds us that we're not alone. But if you're here and you... You feel that loneliness, that disconnect because you, you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to invite you to know him today. The Bible says that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, we'll experience that salvation. So if you're here and you want to know Jesus with our heads bowed, our eyes closed, just lift your hands so that I can pray for you. I won't embarrass you. I will not call you out. Good. Good. Just keep your hands up just for a moment, if you would. We want to get you a little package. It's a starter kit, and that'll help you. That'll help you on this journey. Thank you for your courage, for your faith in following Jesus. Is there anyone else, others that want to know Jesus? If you're online, just let us know. We're sending you out the same package, only email to you. That's the way we're doing it for you. For all of us in this room, we're going to pray a simple prayer along with those that lifted their hands today. And the prayer is very simple. Just follow me, would you? Dear Jesus, today I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that you are my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins. Make my heart your home. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canby4square.com.